This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name's Mark and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, I'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA Preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. AA Preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. So, what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as the sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you are at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and to admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is that it is an allergy of the body coupled with obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having that first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand never enough. And yet, because the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up that first drink. This makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise helpless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM, 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. 
Would you like to introduce yourself and give us a quick sketch of who you are, age, how long you've been sober and occupation? My name's Lou, I'm an alcoholic. Um, I've been sober 26 years. Um, I've been successful in making it to 51 and I am a self-employed contractor. Oh, great. And you family, married with kids? or I, I am single. I do have a son um, who's 29. And, yeah, other than that, most of my family's in Christchurch. Great. And do you want to tell us about your childhood? Um, it was kind of... It was once were warriors, but not to that extreme, you know, Um I was made a ward of the state at the age of two and so bounced around between um, social welfare facilities, home and various grandparents. Um, And, yeah, unfortunately, especially at home, I got to experience um, every sort of violence that was available on the spectrum, really. Um, Yeah, it was just... It was nutty and... And to be fair, I probably felt a bit nutty, you know, like I just didn't know where I belonged and all of that sort of stuff, really. So when did you start drinking and how did it progress? I started drinking probably around 14, 15, and I'd already um, been sniffing petrol and that sort of stuff prior to that, and, um, and that didn't go well and sort of... Alcohol and I were a bad accident waiting to happen, and that's exactly what did happen. Um, you know, the first few times that I got drunk, it was either blackout or vomiting, or and it was just chaos, absolute chaos. Yeah, and so what did it do for you, and why did you drink? It took away the way I felt. That That was the whole thing, you know, like I felt miserable all the time and just probably in reflection now was just totally depressed and lost and just, yeah, because home life was so chaotic. Um, I was chaotic and unable to deal with it, you know. Um, And so, yeah, alcohol just took away the way I felt and we immediately fell in love. Well, I fell in love. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's for sure. And how did you drink? Like, was it social? Was it alone? Was it binge drinking? Oh, um, my drinking has never been social. Um, I don't understand that concept, and I don't have to. Um, but it was always once I picked up that drink, it would just be blackout or pass out, whichever arrived first, you know. And and some of that, well, actually, all of that in the beginning was with mates. But, um, yeah, eventually it sort of, it did sort of wind up on my own because I was just out of control, you know. There was always violence or chaos and eventually the police would be involved or, you know, there was always mayhem that came out when I picked up a drink, you know. Did you ever feel it was a problem and did you ever try to stop? Oh, look, I had had the feeling for a long time that there was something seriously wrong with me. That's exactly how I felt. And, um, yeah, it became 
it obviously became a problem really fast. Um, but I was, yeah, I was just driven by the disease. You know, like once the thought entered my head, I was gone, you know. And, um, but there was always, I kind of refer it to the devil and angel going on on the inside because I actually wanted to be normal, um, but I just knew I wasn't either, you know. Mm. Absolutely knew I wasn't. So what made you realise you needed help? Um, oh, look, my parents actually kicked me out when I was 16 um, and just because I was, wasn't was listening to anybody, did what I wanted when I wanted and, um, you know, at that stage there were three other siblings in the house and they also had to sort of worry about them and um, I was the oldest and, yeah, I I was just out of control. Mm. Um, and so I eventually wound up on the streets with the street kids in Christchurch, um, drinking and sniffing glue and whatever I could, you know, um, get my merely little hands on. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty evident relatively quickly that there was an issue. Um and did you have like, um, can you describe any consequences like loss of employment or trouble with the law? Or oh, look, the law had already been involved in my life before I left home, um, and I kind of, I dedicated my life to drugs and alcohol. Like other people went to university, got jobs, all of that sort of stuff. Where I was, my whole life was about getting on board, you know. Um, and I just, and I didn't have the life skills to do anything else either or capability. Um, so, yeah, it was just madness, really. Mm. Can you describe how, you, how it affected you physically, mentally and emotionally um, and, and also go to a rock bottom, if you did? Oh, look, mentally I was cocked anyway, you know, even before I picked up the first drink. Um, so I guess the... And I guess that was part of the drinking is it took away that mental chaos, you know, um, because I thought I was the only one that felt like I did. I thought I was the only one that grew up with a family that was chaos and, you know, there was continual sort of violence and uh, emotional and mental abuse going on. Um, so, yeah, it really just – those thought processes just continued – um, and I guess there were kind of various rock bottoms, you know, um, of yeah, coming to and sort of, you know, there probably would have been violence against myself or me against someone else and dealing with that chaos and, um, yeah, I was lucky I was young because physically it was sort of, for the want of a better term, it was sustainable. I'd bounce back quite quick. Um, but then, you know, when you're sleeping in parks and stuff, it's not a fun time either. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was some resilience there. How did you find your way to your first AA meeting and what was that like? Um, one of the ladies that actually worked with the street kids in Christchurch was a member of AA and... Um, I had sort of, and essentially she brought me to my first AA meeting, 
and um, you know I was seventeen and a half, and 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 I was done. I kind of didn't know it as such, but I was done. Um, and there were all these age and peered people comparative to myself. Um, but I think that meeting and probably the first few, they had something I wanted. You know, they were talking similar stories of chaos and mayhem that I knew about or had done myself, um, but they were happy about it, you know. Um, and some of these people were smiling and they were talking, you know. The drinking stories, like I don't think I hadn't set foot in a pub to drink on my own by that stage. Um, so, you know, it wasn't the drinking stories that I related to, it was the feelings. Because they talked about the sadness, madness, badness, fear, loneliness, um, anguish, despair, and I knew all that stuff intimately. And it was the first time I'd ever heard anybody talk about the way I felt. How did other A-members treat you and how did that make you feel? Um... It must have been okay because I don't recall any sort of ill treatment for the want of a better word. You know, they were just, um, you know, I guess they were keen to get me to see me get sober, you know. Um, yeah. Hmm. Great. How have you managed to stay sober? Do you want to describe your process of recovery? Um. The first seven years in AA, I bounced in and out multiple times with varying lengths of sobriety. Um, and, you know, wound up going to various treatment centres and jail a couple of times. And, um, you know, it was just about me actually accepting I was powerless. And I don't know where the thought came from, but I thought I was going to manage myself better, you know. Um, and and I was that sick. It really just has taken a long, long time. Um, and you know, the thing, the thing that's kept me sober is continually going to AA meetings and good sponsorship, you know. Um, and and I've definitely had periods away from AA, um, but I've always kept coming back, and that's what saved my bacon. Um, although I probably wasn't aware of it, there was a deep connection right from the beginning. Like, these were my people. They knew what they were talking about, you know. Um, and at various times, they'd do probably not the PC thing today, but invite me into their homes and fill me up with coffee and cigarettes and tell me about the chaos that they used to get up to, you know. Um, and 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 they, they lived that program, you know. They picked us up for meetings. They took us to various places if we needed to, you know. Um, they would share their cigarettes, but all of that was also done with their stories and their experience in AA and experience in getting sober as well. Mm. Um, what have you, difficulties have you had? Um, have you coached with them with AA? Oh, look, I've, um, my current sponsor, and I've had probably for 27, 28 years, I think he's fired me about four times in that process. Um, 
and yeah, it just it is what it is. Like it's you know, it's a learning process, and I had to learn some difficult lessons. You know, and in itself, look, the meetings are always available, um, and and you find what fits for you. You know, um, and my sponsors rather sort of harsh is probably not the right word but his thing is like if you haven't had to be been to a bad meeting you haven't been to enough and, <laughs> and you know it's kind of true like some days you walk out of there and it's like oh, it just you know but that's what it is that's just life you know um yeah how important has service been as part of your recovery look um most of my service really has been around, and because I've had the ability, has been picking up other people and taking them to meetings, you know, um, who don't have that ability. Um, and and the other thing I've kind of, I make an effort to do is go and talk to the quiet ones standing outside the meeting um, and just... Find get find out where they're at and um, and make them welcome and you know sort of progress on from there. I you know I've got a regular service position that I've been doing I don't know possibly a year and a bit and um, and I do that because that's exactly what the old buggers did for me. You know um, they talk about this program you can't keep it keep it without giving it away. Um, which is absolutely true, but I do it because that's what the old buggers exactly did for me. Um, so I kind of I have a responsibility to continue that as I see it anyway. Mm. How would you describe yourself in your life you have today? Um, completely different from the person I was, you know. Um, I don't... You know, it's been at, at a minimum 26 years or more that I've had the police, probation, justice department, um, any of those people involved in my life, you know. Um, when I was out there using and abusing and even getting sober, there was always somebody that was having to keep an eye on Lou because he couldn't be trusted. You know, he was eventually going to break out one way or the other. Um, and barring the normal stuff we go through of sort of, you know, checkpoints and that sort of stuff and the occasional speeding fine, um, <laughs> those people haven't been involved in my life. Um, so, you know, I am, I am look, I'm trustworthy. People will ask me for advice on various subjects. They will listen to my opinion and use my opinion, just, yeah, I could probably talk for far too long on how different my life is today. How do you feel within yourself today, like in terms of like self-esteem, confidence, or even your perspective on, on life? Oh, look, that stuff has got incredibly better. Um, it took a long time. Like, I just arrived here with no self-esteem, essentially. The big, talk, big book talks about, you know, we went to sordid places. I was a sordid place, you know, um, and that has been 
work I've done myself and also gentle coaching from others as well, you know, and my sponsor has been significant in that. Um, and that's not about him patting on me on the head every day and saying you're a good boy type stuff, but every so often he'll be like, um, just remember where you've come from and where you are now, you know. Um, street kid lunatic, um, gainfully employed, responsible for people, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's... Yeah, uh, it really, look, it is amazing. There's no other word to describe it, you know. And how would you describe the changes externally, like living situation, you know, um, career, hobbies, interests? Have they changed since getting sober? Oh, absolutely. I guess the first um, actually becoming employable, you know. Um, and I had to get pretty sort of accurate instructions about that stuff, Um a previous sponsor sort of said to me, you know, nobody's coming to your house to offer you a job as a CEO. Um, you need to go and knock on doors. And so that's exactly what I did. And that's how I managed to get my first full-time job. Um, and, you know, just, I guess, the normal run-of-the-mill stuff, you know, just turn up, somebody will tell you what to do. Um, try and do what they say, um, you know, all that basic stuff, make your lunch, take it with you, which sounds sort of, you know, babyish, but the reality is that's the stuff I needed to learn and needed to be told. Um, and all of that, you know, any instructions or advice I've always been given has been um, from a place of love. You know, not a place of degradation or abusiveness or anything. And some of those instructions on the face of it may appear quite harsh, but it has always been in a place of love and their desire to see me remain sober and get better. Yeah. How have um, relationships with close ones, friends, family, and that changed in sobriety? Oh, look, I... Um, I, you know, similar thing. I arrived in AA with a heart full of hate um, and, you know, I had made a serious attempt on my mother's life um, and now, you know, we we will never be the Waltons but um, we have a relationship today. I can go and have dinner with her today and have conversations with her today and all of that is a result of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, AA is described as a spiritual program, not a religious program. What does spirituality mean for you? Look, it's a connection of what I believe and um, what what works for me, you know, and and I did battle with that for a wee while, you know. I arrived here with some, with in a religious upbringing um, and discovered something that works for me, but I even battled with that for a wee while. Um, but, it, yeah, it just takes time. That is one of the most important things is it just takes time and conversations and talking with others. What would you suggest to any listeners who have had a drinking problem or who may have had a drinking may have a drinking problem? 
Look, reach out, you know. Um, come come to some AA meetings. Come to a few um, and and see what works, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it, really. Where can they go and what are some of the things they can do to get help? Look, there's information available on the web at aa.org, I think it is. Um, and there's phone numbers there and um, meetings lists. And, and uh, there's oh, 800 numbers they can use to make contact with people. Um, and there's also citizens' advice and that sort of stuff as well, you know. And they can even talk to their doctors. Um, so there's plenty of gateways as such for people to explore. Cool. All right, Lou. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Thank you. For our listeners, if you've related to anything you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www.aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experience. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. This brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember if you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with a serenity prayer as we do so with every AA meeting. God, God grant, grant me serenity to, to accept, accept the things, things I cannot, cannot change, change, courage to change the things, things I can, can and the wisdom to know the difference. difference. You have been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9. Mm-hmm.